Hey, Luke, want to catch a movie? I don't know. Let's ask Jason. I'm Laura Svitalniak. And I'm Luke Garrett. And we're trying to figure out how the D.C. area will get back to normal as we get past the pandemic. In Is It Normal Yet? We talked to one of our WTOP reporters to see if we're on the right track. This week, we sat down with entertainment editor Jason Fraley to see where the D.C. entertainment world stands after the pandemic shuttered shows and theaters. So Jason, back in January, I actually heard one of the stories you did about Mason Jennings. You kind of teased this virtual concert that he was having, and I tuned in, and it was fantastic. And after the concert, I, you know, Venmoed Mason Jennings a couple bucks, and I was left with this sense of, man, are local artists surviving through this pandemic? You know, even though they're holding these virtual concerts and creative events, how have local artists, smaller artists, really made it through this pandemic? First of all, thanks for having me, but that makes my day that you actually, based on our story, did a Mason Jennings, the live stream. (laughs) I didn't even know. I didn't know if you or anybody else knew who he was. My wife turned me on to him during one of our weekly nature drives that we started doing. We tried to get out of the house during this whole thing, but couldn't be around people back in the beginning. So that's how I discovered Mason Jennings through that. So there's a pandemic tie to how I even discovered him. But yeah, it's been a really tough times for local artists. Like my wife is in a band. They've been sidelined for like over a year now. So it's just hard because there's no venues to play. Uh, You know, I mean, now they're slowly starting to open up, but I know stories from a bunch of local bands where some people in the band are ready to come back. Others aren't. They're trying to find replacements or whatever. I mean, some local bands I know folded and it's not just the bands too. It's obviously the venues themselves, like a lot of them have closed and had to find other ways to survive. Like Ford's Theater, for instance, they do a Christmas carol every December, but they had to convert it into a radio play. And they're doing another one now called Necessary Sacrifices about Abe Lincoln and Frederick Douglass's historic several meetings they had at the White House. But they have the actors in these two glass bubble booths with iPads so they can look at each other's performance a little bit, but mostly they're trying to do theater of the mind radio play. It's fascinating hearing about that arena stage and signature theater and roundhouse theater. They're all doing virtual shows as well. 930 Club and the Anthem owned by IMP. They converted a truck that they used to drive around selling tickets and merchandise. They took that and converted it into a food truck and they were doing food donations, like a food pantry, having people donate canned goods and stuff. Wow. So, you know, some of this stuff might stick. I know other restaurants, Ben's Chili Bowl started doing contactless catering. We did a story on them and they ended up serving a chili fest out at Wolf Trap. So there was these cool (laughs) synergies that you would never see Ben's Chili Bowl on U Street team up with Wolf Trap National Park out in Virginia, but the pandemic sort of forced them to get creative and come together. So local artists and venues alike are finding ways to survive it. You touched on venues and I'm curious to hear more because we have such a robust venue culture here in DC. There's lots of we tend to think of them as small venues, but as you mentioned, you know, 930 Anthem are all owned by the same place. U Street Music Hall had to shutter their doors for good. So what effect does this have on the artistic community? Because if you aren't able to get a footing in a smaller venue, how can you be expected to start booking big ones? Yeah, I mean, the going out of business thing is a very real threat. Like, I know I just cited a lot of positive, optimistic, uplifting... uh, (laughs) And we love that about you, truly. We do. But there is totally a darker, more depressing side that we have to talk about, which is a lot of great places have closed. You mentioned U Street Music Hall, and, you know, selfishly, I'm mad because, (laughs) A, it was a good venue, but B, like, they would book us cool interviews. They gave us (laughs) Grandmaster Flash a couple years ago for a phoner, and now that's going to be gone. There's this singing group, the Alexandria Harmonizers. They actually had two members die of COVID. Actually, oh God, there was wow. there was actually a third member that died 
of something unrelated. But yeah, so it's been a, a rough year for them. They ended up doing a fundraiser back around the holidays to raise money and, you know, in light of the people dying of COVID. But yeah, I mean, and then of course, nationally, a bunch of artists died too. I mean, John Prine and Charlie Pride, one of my grandparents' favorite country artists. Joe Diffie, right. there was the Broadway guy, Nick Cordero, that passed away. Like, there's been mm-hmm. a lot of people. And then on the movie side, you know, I'm a big movie guy. Bethesda's Arclight Cinema, I used to live in Bethesda. I would always go over to that Montgomery Mall. You know, you get a meal at the food court right up the escalators. And I remember I took my parents to see Boyhood there when it came out. And I think I still have the ticket stuff somewhere. But it's weird to think it's gone. Arclight shut down as like a nationwide shutdown. There's big Arclight in Hollywood that shut down. And then the Cinerama that was in Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that's gone too as part of this large shutdown. Yeah, man, I mean, movie theaters shutting down is the big thing that's depressing to me (laughs) because, you know, there's nothing like going out to the movies and seeing it with a crowded theater. I mean, I'm sure it'll go back. We can get to that later on. But yeah, it's been a dark time for sure. Places closing down. Oh, and of course, um, I forgot Blue's Alley. God, I think they were the oldest, you know, one of those things where it's the oldest continually operating, however they, (laughs) however they, you know. Whatever their Guinness World Record Right, exactly. Now that's going to come to a close because their landlord's forcing them out. The last I talked to the guy, Chris Ross, he said he was hopeful maybe someone else could swoop in and buy it where they could mm-hmm. stay at that location but as of now it's done you know everyone's written their obituaries on blues alley and new street music hall and so it's it's really kind of sad can you talk more about movie theater culture because not to be fatalistic but there are all these very dire outlooks saying people just aren't going to return to the movies again do you think that's true are we coming from a biased place as people who like to go to the movies Yeah, I mean, I've always sort of said rah-rah for the movies, but even (laughs) me, like, I've gotten accustomed to watching at home, and, you know, selfishly, it's easier. You don't have to get on the metro or drive and look and pay for parking, battle crowds, and stuff like that, even just for me to go to my two screenings a week. It's actually been nice to just get Hulu or Amazon Prime or Netflix to send me a link, and I can just watch it at home. And same with audiences. On the Friday that Palm Springs hits Hulu, they can just fire it up. Or it was a Wednesday release for Godzilla vs. Kong. A lot of people just stream that, too. Yeah, I think a lot of us have just grown accustomed to do it. Mm -hmm. My hope as, you know, a cinephile movie going lover is that folks will return. And I think they will, especially for like the superhero movies. People will go back for the big tentpole event movies for sure. But I do think streaming is absolutely here to stay. I mean, Silicon Valley is to today's movie industry what the old studio system used to be in the golden age. Mm -hmm. What Warner Brothers and MGM and Paramount, all those, that's totally been replaced by Amazon, Hulu, Netflix. So I think they'll be the prime people churning out content. And it really wasn't that long ago. It was like a year or two ago, right before the pandemic, where there was this whole debate of theatrical versus streaming. And you had the old lions like Spielberg and Scorsese, who I love, both of them. But, you know, them sort of the old mindset saying that streaming stuff shouldn't be up for Oscars. It's streaming. It should be up for Emmys, not Oscars. But now the nail in that coffin Mm. is so gone now. That debate is so... 2019 (laughs) you know what I mean so 2019 (laughs) so like even people that were resisting it for instance like a Scorsese ended up doing the Irishman for Netflix like pre-pandemic so I think it was trending there anyway and this is just totally thrusted into it's going to be the norm now I think it's just easier to watch and at home with streaming taking a solid hold over the movie industry and local artists really leaning into streaming as well what impact does this have on communities, especially in the D.C. area? Will this kind of force more isolation? Art is really a gathering sort of phenomenon in a community. And what impact do you think that will have when more things are just going on streaming and it's just one person, one screen instead of, you know, an audience? 
It's a really good question about the community side of it. We get bogged down talking about the artists and the venues, but yeah, the overall community impact is, is a really good point because these are our gathering spaces where we go see a movie at a movie theater and then that's your cultural currency that you're talking about at the barbershop or at the diner or, you know, whatever you're going with your kids' t-ball games or whatever. Like, we all have that common thing. And I mean, I guess maybe we could still have it with what we're watching on streaming, but it's so much more splintered now. Similar to news, right? We don't have a common set of facts from three networks anymore with Walter Cronkite. Now everyone's splintered into all these different cable channels. I think it's the same thing with movies and things we quote to each other. I don't think I can really turn and quote Nomadland to my uncle who's guarantee will never watch that movie. So like part of me mourns the community aspect where we all add those common touchstones. The art movies, the best picture winners used to be blockbusters all the time. Like I crunched the numbers. I don't have it off the top of my head, but like 90% of the time, a top 10 grocer would win best picture between like the 30s and like the 80s and now it's zero percent of course you crunched the numbers it's zero percent i blame that on sequel culture because you know in the 80s Mm. that's when sort of sequels exploded and while there are many many really good ones empire strikes back indiana jones 3 all that but i don't blame the academy for wanting to reward original fresh ideas over you know avengers 19 or whatever like i I get it (laughs) bringing it back to the point is the community aspect Godfather would win Best Picture, but everyone had seen it and they would all talk about it. Or even recently with like Forrest Gump or Titanic, the Best Picture winners, Lord of the Rings, was probably the last big one that it was like a cultural thing. So we're losing the community a little bit with that. I don't know how we get that back. But in terms of venues, like here in my own hometown, I feel like I keep giving my wife shout outs, but it's true. Like she started to drive, she it. started to drive in movie theater here at the Frederick Fairgrounds. And what? that's- Wait, hold on. Talk more about that right now. <laughs> the return of the drive-in theater in general is I think my favorite takeaway of awesomeness, silver lining <laughs> that came out of the whole pandemic. Because here you have a phenomenon that was thought dead and gone a vestige of our parents and grandparents' age. And it's something that some of us had done it as a novelty, but you would have to drive hours to get there. And now mm-hmm. they've suddenly, they're popping up all over the place. I think during the pandemic, we must've covered like at least a dozen drive-in movie theater stories. Point is, is drive-in theaters are now a thing again. I think that's so freaking cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you touched on something that I thought was interesting. The water cooler cultural touchstones, where obviously... We don't have a water cooler anymore. Maybe some of us are back in the office, but it doesn't seem to be a majority. What, if anything, have you seen during the pandemic? You were texting your friends about it, or every time a new episode happened or a season was dropped, Twitter lost their mind. The one I'm thinking of is WandaVision. I feel like that was such a thing that people gathered around that it almost felt normal, even though it was a television show being released on a streaming service. I agree entirely. WandaVision is a great example. I mean, the the Snyder Cut Justice League was a thing, too, Mm, that was huge. But in a way, almost like huge, but like a niche huge, if that makes sense. Like you had all these Snyder zealots, you know, excited about that. But I think your example is perfect. WandaVision was like the, if you want to say water cooler conversation, there aren't water coolers anymore. I guess now it's hashtags, not water coolers. I agree. Everyone was talking about it. And I thought it was really well done. I thought what was kind of cool about it was... In a way, it almost captures our pandemic. Like us streaming shows right now, right, is us dealing with our grief and loss and isolation just the way that 
Scarlet Witch, Wanda is with the death of her soulmate. Vision was killed, and so Wanda is now suddenly, spoiler alert, I think everyone's seen it now, has created a 1950s sitcom version of the life that she wants to have, where her husband is still back alive. It's this perfect little white picket fence suburbia, you know, you know what I'm talking about. They even throw back to old sitcoms in the first three episodes before I think around like episode three or four, we start to see something's up. We're like, oh, there's, there's some Truman Showy sci-fi stuff going on here. That all is not right. But I thought it was great, because I thought it matched what we're going through. Like, us watching a show is the same as her watching her alternate reality of her perfect sitcom life, while literally the reality is all hell is breaking loose and people are dying and over half a million Americans have died of this thing. So yeah, I think it was perfect. Tangentially, I loved when WandaVision referenced Dick Van Dyke because that is my mom's favorite show. Like there's a reason I'm named Laura. Dick Van Dyke is getting honored at the Kennedy Center Honors next month. She's so excited. I mean, who doesn't love Dick Van Dyke? When they announced that, I was running Mm -hmm. around the house singing Chim Chimini, Chim Chimini, Chim Chim (laughs) My wife got on video somewhere. My overall point, I still think, is that we've sort of lost the communal thing of movies, which saddens me because mm-hmm. I love the old two or three hour self-contained story, beginning, middle, end. People die, they don't come back. You know what I mean? But I think it's sort of been replaced by episodic TV. That has become the water cooler hashtag conversations is, did you see what happened on WandaVision? Did you see what happened on Lovecraft Country last night? You know, I feel like that's becoming the conversation. As the DC entertainment world reopens, what are you keeping your eye on? What are you looking out for in the coming months? I'm curious to see what happens going forward. Like the Kennedy Center honors are supposed to be next month. Wolf Trap is about to announce its summer lineup. But I'm just curious to see, yeah, what artists actually come to town to play? What venues are they comfortable coming to? At Kennedy Center, is it going to be like a hybrid thing? You know, usually we're on the red carpet. Am I going to be Zoom calling? What are we going to be doing? I don't know. We got to wait and find out. The world of entertainment saw a historic night at the Oscars Sunday. Chloe Zhao became the first woman of color and only the second woman overall to win Best Director. Anthony Hopkins won the Best Actor trophy over the late Chadwick Boseman, who had been heavily favored to win. Frances McDormand won Best Actress for her role in Nomadland, which also nabbed Best Picture. Nomadland was released by streaming service Hulu, in case there are any doubts about Jason's assessment of streaming services' theatrical influence. And a huge thank you to Jason for his expertise on the local entertainment world. You can hear him on WTOP or on his new podcast, Beyond the Fame. Today's episode was hosted and produced by Laura Spitalniak and Luke Garrett. Our music is courtesy of Lockspeeds. Join us next Monday as the world reopens.